Encouragement, I want to share with you structures of power in our witness. As we're following along with Paul, he, he is, he's before the Supreme Court of Israel, the Sanhedrin. And our passage today provides an object lesson in how a Jew like Paul, how he thought about the structures of power in society. And Paul provides some object lessons in basic political theology. Now the context for that is that Jesus has invited you and I to do exactly what Paul did and the other apostles and the 120 original followers of Jesus. It's, it's in Acts 1. You, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you all and, and you'll all be my witness. You'll be my witnesses. So you'll provide a witness to this world of who I am, that I'm alive, the resurrection, that I've come to say I'm the king and my kingdom is arriving. You're going to be witnesses of that. At the end of this account with Paul, Jesus is going to come to him again and say, Cheer up. You've given your witness about me in Jerusalem. It's been a good witness now. You have to do it in Rome. You're now going to be my witness in Rome. Now, Maybe, you know, in this last section of Acts, this witness is a little bit more legal. But I want to remind you, I, I don't think that's too far away from where most of us might be thinking. Because there have been some rulings in our Supreme Court. And most of us, as we listen to those and, and learn about those, um, it may seem like, well, maybe our witness is going to become a little bit more legal. And so I think it's God's timing for us to be right where we are in Acts. And to, okay, if it happened, if we had to be witnesses in a legal proceeding, how would we do it? How would we, like, what are the power structures? I mean, these are the questions. What can we learn about bearing witness today? Because that's, that's, when, Bob, that's it. That's... That's what we're supposed to be doing. And we are, whether it's verbal or or not. We are bearing witness to the life and the promise of Jesus. And so how are we going to deal with our current power structures, the structures of power? So Acts 23. Let's read together, follow along. Might be a little small to follow along, but if you want to go closer, you can. Or you can open your Bible, or your phone, or whatever you have, memory, whatever. So Paul is stepping into a court called the Sanhedrin. And he surveyed the members of the Sanhedrin, the council, with a steady gaze. And then he said this, Friends, I have lived with a clear conscience before God all my life up to this very moment. That set the chief priest Ananias off. He ordered his aides to slap Paul across the mouth. And Paul shot back, God will slap you down. What a fake you are. You sit there and judge me by the law and then break the law by ordering me slapped around. The aides were scandalized. How dare you talk to God's chief priests like that? And Paul acted surprised because he was surprised. 
How was I to know he was the chief priest? He doesn't act like a chief priest. But you are right. The scripture does say don't speak abusively or evil to a ruler of the people. Sorry. Paul, knowing some of the council were made up of Sadducees and others of Pharisees and how they... This is, this is so bad. I mean, the Sadducees and the Pharisees are like the same faith, but how they hated each other. So he decided to exploit their antagonism. Friends, I'm a stalwart Pharisee with a long line of Pharisees. It's because of my Pharisee convictions, the hope and resurrection of the dead, that I've been holding to this court. The moment he said this, the council split right down the middle. Pharisees and Sadducees going at each other in heated argument. Sadducees have nothing to do with a resurrection or angels or even a spirit. If they can't see it, they don't believe it. Pharisees, however, believe it all. And so a huge and noisy quarrel broke out. Then some of the religion scholars on the Pharisee side shouted down the others, We don't find anything wrong with this man. What if a spirit has spoken to him or maybe an angel? What if it turns out we're fighting against God? And that was more fuel for the fire. The quarrel flamed up, became so violent that the Roman captain was afraid they would tear Paul apart limb from limb. So he ordered the soldiers to get him out of there and escort him back to the safety of the barracks. That night, Jesus appeared to Paul. It's going to be all right. Everything is going to turn out for the best. You've been a good witness for me here in Jerusalem. Now you're going to be my witness in Rome. What we can learn from Paul is that first of all he surveyed the political landscape. He stepped into the court, looked around, and he saw, hey, there's conservative here and there's liberal here, and there's a governing authority called the Romans. So the Pharisees would have represented the conservative. Now, assumption, again, broad, broad assumption. Conservatives tend, the further right you go, the more you want a controlling government producing law and order, proper and firm justice, plenty of people to tell you what to do, and ultimately, your result with dictatorship. The Sadducees were the liberal side. And again, very broad assumptions here. The further left you go, the more you will favor freedom from constricting and aristocratic authority, loose structures, plenty of voting about everything, and ultimately you end up with anarchy. So he's surveying who's in the court. And then you've got the Romans. I mean, the military power that was ultimately in charge by force. And as he stands before that political body, he makes a statement. He's maintained a clear conscience. And it's not that Paul, like any of us, had never done anything wrong. I mean, you could quickly go back to, well, in this book, I mean, he stood by and watched Stephen be stoned, the first martyr. 
Remember, he's on a rampage arresting Jewish followers of Jesus. I mean, that was wrong. So it's not like he's done nothing wrong. It's simply that Paul is saying, whenever I've done anything wrong, I have immediately done whatever was necessary to put it right. Paul himself knew the law. So when he, when he comes back, God will slap you down. That slap, what that slap in the mouth meant was that you're blaspheming. You're obviously telling lies. You have no right to be speaking in your defense. And he knew that according to the law, the Jewish law, that he had every right to provide his defense without being slapped before providing that defense. And he said what he said because he, he couldn't distinguish the chief priest from the other people in, in the crowd. He did, I mean, or he, he goes on, well, it's really kind of the next thing. He really did respect the office of the chief priest. He did not respect the, the man that was in the office at that time, but he did respect the office. We can learn that God wants the world to be governed because he wants people to live in peace and justice. And if you don't have structures of justice, then the bullies, the extortioners, and the rest always win. But the fact that you must respect the structures does not rule out, but actually includes the duty to remind the people currently operating the structures what it is they ought to be, do, to be doing, and for that matter, what they ought to stop doing. Sound familiar? Any of this, like, beginning to register with anybody? Paul surveyed the political landscape. Paul knew what the law was. Paul knew what his rights were. Paul respected the office of the chief priest. But he also knew, man, if they're going to slap me in the mouth, accuse me of blasphemy, of, of, of lying, then there's not going to be much justice found in this court. So he pulled out his card. And he actually, he shouted, Resurrection! <laughs> That's what this trial is all about. That is the great hope for which we, which we Pharisees have always stood up for. The issue before us is the resurrection of the dead. He knew exactly what he was doing. Now, I'm not sure N.T. Wright, when he wrote this next little paragraph, understood how relevant it would be for people sitting in this room this morning. Paul shouting resurrection is more or less the equivalent of someone in a crowded and heated political meeting in a southern American state suddenly producing a Confederate flag and waving it around. All the substantive issues are lost in the melee. That's exactly what Paul did. It's exactly what's happening in our world. And once that happened, this court just erupts like in a dog-eat-dog system. The council split right down the middle, going at each other in heated argument. A huge and noisy quarrel broke out. The quarrel flamed up, became so violent 
that the Roman cat, we got to get him out of here. They're, they're going to tear Paul, like literally, they're going to tear him limb to limb. So, friends, we do have like a, a theology of politics. It really does. I mean, Paul had it. We need to have it. We live in a real world. We need to be reading the newspaper. We need to find some news that we can listen to. We, I mean, that's all really important. And so these are the things that we can kind of learn from. We need to survey the political landscape. I mean, right now we should know there's 16 people running for the, like the Republican candidacy for the president. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, I've been it's like, there's so many, I, I don't know who the Democratic side is. <laughs> But we should know, we should be able to survey. We ought, we ought to know what's going on. And as we do that, we need to maintain a, a good conscience. So again, none of us is perfect. We, we all do things wrong, but we need to settle those things as quickly as we can. And we need to know the law. We need to know our rights. We need, we need to be aware of that. And here's a biggie. We, we need to respect the office. Even when we don't like the person in the office. When we adamantly disagree with, we must respect the office. I mean, even Jesus, and remember Jesus, I mean, Jesus, whoo, talk about somebody that unloads on political leaders. But he ends up saying, respect the office, just don't do what they do. Remember that? You whitewashed tombs. Golly. Woo! Roasted them. But he respected the office. And then there, it, 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 we, we should learn, again, be wise. We should learn to expose kangaroo courts. I mean, when, when, you know, when we get in trouble with the law of the day, and there's really not going to be justice found in the court, it's okay to ask the Holy Spirit, well, what do we do? He obviously inspired Paul at that moment. Because the bottom line is, the bottom line is, our interest in the political landscape is that we are, we, we want to be a good witness to Jesus. And so our involvement in this world, in the politics of this world, what that can do and what it cannot do, that's part of our witness for Jesus. Now, we could have a good conversation about like in general... Does the church today in America have a good witness for Jesus in its involvement in politics? Maybe we don't want to have that conversation. But really, we should have that conversation. I mean, I could be wrong. And, and I, again, you, you may correct me. That's you may. I mean, I'm not above that. But right, I don't think our witness is very good. So we need to improve our witness for Jesus in our involvement in this world. And maybe this is the way to do it. I'm not asking you 
to be a Republican. I'm not asking you to be a Democrat. I finally found the political party that I can be part of. It's called the New Creation Politic or Political Party. What I do today needs to be connected with what's coming. So listen to this quote. This belief in the calling of God to rulers to do justice in the present was grounded ultimately in the future when God would set everything to rights, would restore all things, would make a new creation, and would raise the dead to live in it. That would be the final judgment, and all other judgments would in some measure or other anticipate that one. So again, we're back to this idea that what God intends to do in the future, what God will actually do in the future, described in so many ways, everything set to rights, restoring all things to its original mint condition, but making it even better, a new creation... The dead raised to live a life forevermore and the final judgment that, that what that, those future events, that that would actually be represented by people following Jesus in the here and the now. And that we would want our courts to be just because there is a just God and a judgment that's coming. And so we want to actually live, we want to live that now. What we know about new creation, we want it to come now. Not just wait till later. So as we, as we survey the political landscape, as we involve ourselves, what we want to represent is not the politics of this world, but the politics of the new creation that's coming. Now, I hope that reorients us so that then we become really good witnesses to Jesus. Because what Jesus has introduced to our world is something new. A new creation impacting the old. So could I suggest that we do this? I think that most of us live with some sense of injustice about at least one thing. So I was wondering if maybe we could like put into practice what we just read about by just getting together in groups of three to five and, and say, well, I'm, I, this is something that's really wrong. That I, that I just, it just, it really troubles me. This is an injustice that I just carry around in my head and my heart. And I think that there might be a leader that could help with that. So what I would like us to do in groups of three to five is to identify injustices and to pray for those that are in authority over us that could be doing something about the things that are wrong in our world so that we would be representing now the politics of new creation by praying for those in authority over us to address the injustices either that are happening or they're just ignoring. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So we'll just kind of, wherever you are, around the room, just kind of get in groups of three to five.